And if you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. And if you were here last week, you know that we uh, learned or were reminded from Ephesians chapter 6 that we are in a spiritual battle. I know that's a controversial assertion, and, and many people dismiss any of the spiritual element, the demonic element to how we live, but the evidence is overwhelming. And the Bible data is clear. We are in a struggle with evil spiritual forces that seek to ruin our relationships, to rob us of joy, to destroy our lives, and to separate us in our walk with the Father. We are in a war. And so last week we were reminded through scripture of that battle. Today, I want to tell you from the same passage of scripture how it is that we can win the battle. How can we have victory over the, the demonic forces that, that, that are arrayed against us? How can we fight? And so look with me in Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to begin reading in verse 11. The Bible says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. And we talked about uh, what some of those schemes were this last week. Verse 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the, of the darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. And then he says, stand, the words repeated, stand therefore with truth, like a belt around your waist, righteousness, like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace in everything. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then finally, verse 18, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So we are in a spiritual battle, but he tells us here that we must do certain things so that when the evil day comes, that we'll be able to stand. In fact, that's the central part of this passage. Look back at verse 13. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, whatever that means we'll learn in a moment, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. Now, what is this evil day? Well, in a sense, every day is an evil day. There's evil all around us. We face this uh, battle with evil spiritual forces. There's temptation everywhere. But when he says the evil day, he says it as if it's a future day as if it is some day that we're going to encounter, maybe tomorrow or six months from now, maybe we'll encounter this several times in 2020, there will be some evil days. And when those days come and Satan's attacks against us are most fierce, how are we going to be able to stand? 
When a day comes when our temptation is extreme, when we feel so weak and so pulled toward something that we know that we shouldn't go toward, when we feel a day of frustration or exhaustion, or maybe there's a day when we're depressed or a day when we feel lonely or rejected, or maybe it's a day when we feel the sting of failure, it is on that day, on that day that we need to be able to stand. And so he gives us these instructions so that we can stand when the evil day comes. Because it's on that evil day that you are in jeopardy of compromise. It's on that evil day, those days coming up. You don't know when they'll be, but in 2020, there will be these days when you will be in jeopardy of just quitting, of making a poor decision, of forfeiting your marriage or forfeiting your ministry or your influence or doing something that'll bring terrible destruction in your life and the lives of those around you because it's the evil day. What must we do to stand in the evil day? Now, there's good news here. Uh, the Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We can't have victory if we will follow some instructions. And so the instructions, that's what we see here in the verses that we've read. And I want us to look at them as closely as we can. If we look at these instructions, we'll notice that really there are two things that we need to do. There are two primary commands. One has to do with the armor of God, and the other has to do with prayer. Now, if we talk about the armor of God, I think here's where we make this passage way more complicated than it needs to be. Ordinarily, when a pastor preaches on this passage and the armor of God, he goes through these pieces of armor. There are six of them. He goes through these pieces of armor one at a time and explains with each piece of armor what it is that we need to do in order to stand on the evil day. Now, that's not a bad approach. In fact, that's what I planned to do when I decided to preach on this passage some months ago. Uh, but, but I think when we do that, we sometimes miss a simpler and more important message that's, that's, that's found right here in, in, in the armor. You see, there's some problems. It is problematic when we begin to talk about these six pieces of armor as individual things that, that we face. For instance, the first piece of armor is the belt of truth. We don't really know, there's not enough Bible information for us to really know what the belt of truth means. And so I did a ton of reading this week and some Bible scholars said that to put on the belt of truth means that we tell the truth, that we're truth tellers, that when there's something to be said, what we say is truthful. Well, certainly, we ought to be truth tellers, right? We ought to always be honest. The Bible tells us that. But I'm not sure that that's really what he's talking about here when he says to put on the belt of truth. And so some other Bible commentators have said, no, to put on the belt of truth means to live a life of integrity. That, that you need to do what you say, you need to say what you do, you need to be the same person behind the scenes as you are publicly, you need to live a life of integrity. Well, certainly we ought to live a life of integrity, but I'm not certain that that's what he's talking about when he says, put on the belt of truth. 
And then so some commentators have written and said that to put on the belt of truth means that we need to invest in God's word. We need to renew our minds with God's word. We need to read and study and and meditate on God's word. Well, we need to do all of those things. But I'm not certain that that's what it's talking about when Paul says to put on the belt of truth. Do you see how confusing this is? And then you go to the next piece of armor and it gets just as confusing. The next piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? Well, half the books I read this week said that that means we need to live a righteous life. The Bible says to be righteous, to follow the rules, to do the things that you know you ought to do and to abstain from the things you know you should abstain from, to live righteously. But the other half of the Bible scholars said something very different about the breastplate of righteousness. They said that it meant that we need to remember that we have the righteousness that comes from Christ. The theological phrase is the imputed righteousness, that we've received righteousness through Christ because of the life that he has lived and the sacrifice that he has made. That is talking about an entirely different kind of thing, the righteousness that we receive. So you see how confusing this is? And as you go through the, the six pieces of armor, it just gets more and more complicated. In, in fact, I found that what some authors say about one piece of armor, some other respected authors will say the exact same thing about another piece of armor. What some people say about the shield of faith, other people say the same thing about the helmet of salvation. And then to make things even more confusing, as I was reading this week, I discovered that what some respected Bible scholars say about a piece of armor in one book that they have written, they will say something different about that piece of armor in another book that they have written as if they didn't remember what they had said in the first book. Now, this shouldn't be so complicated. This was written to people at the church of Ephesus so that they could hear this letter read and they could immediately understand what Paul was talking about. There is a simple message here if we, if we can find it. And then furthermore, we have to remember that what we read here at the end of, of, of Ephesians, this, this passage in Ephesians chapter six is just the end of a longer letter, the six chapters of Ephesians. We have to remember that this is the end of a longer letter, that Paul, the writer, is not introducing some new material right here at the end of his letter, but he is simply reemphasizing things that he has taught all through his letter. Things that he mentioned in chapter one, in chapter two, in chapter three, he's simply reemphasizing. Like a, a good pastor or a good writer knows that when you get to the end, you don't introduce something new, you nail down the points that you've already given. And so what we'll see here as we study these verses is that this is not near as complicated as we often think, but it is a simple re-emphasizing of two things that we must do. When you look at this whole passage, there are really only two imperative verbs, primary verbs that tell us what to do in order to stand in the evil day. Now, let me show you what those two are, and then we'll just jump in and, and learn how to do them. The first one is to stand. You see it at the beginning of verse 14. It's also the last word of verse 13. All of these other commands, like put on the armor of God and take up the shield of faith, all of those come together under this one command, 
we should stand. Stand, fully armored, ready to fight. We should stand. So that's one command. And then the other command is in verse 18 when he says pray. Pray at all times, pray for all things. He'll repeat this again in verse 19 and again in verse 20. The two things we must do if we're going to survive the evil day is we must stand and we must pray. So let's see what those mean and how it is that we can do those. First, what does it mean when it says to stand? Well, and I'm going to show you this in scripture so you don't have to take my word for it, but he's talking about embracing the truth of who you are in Christ. When he says to put on the full armor and to stand, he's saying you need to know who you are in Christ. And if you fully understand who you are in Christ, then when, when the accusations from the evil one come, you'll be able to withstand those, you will not fall. Now, let's see how this has been a theme all the way from the beginning from the beginning of the book. If you go back to Ephesians chapter one, and I'll just read to you some verses, you don't have to turn there. But, but verse five, well, let's start in verse seven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So it says even in the beginning that I have forgiveness because of Jesus. Because I am in Christ, all of my sins have been forgiven. That's who I am in Christ. I am forgiven. If we go down to verse 13 of chapter one, it says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you also believed, you were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. That tells me that in Christ I am secure. I can't lose my salvation. God has guaranteed my salvation and he has sealed me with the Holy Spirit of promise. I am a child of God and that can and will never change. That's who I am in Christ. If we go to chapter two, maybe verse five, he says, we have been made alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespass, you were saved by grace. I have a life that comes from my connection with Christ and nothing can take that away from me. We look to verse eight of chapter two, for you are saved by grace through faith and this, this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. I've been saved by the grace of God, the goodness of God, because I've put my faith in him, he has saved me, not because of the works I've done, but because of what Christ has done on my behalf. And then he says in the next verse, not from works so that anyone can boast. It's 100% the work of Christ. I could go on, chapter 3, verse 16. He says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory. Uh, let's see, that's not the verse I wanted to read. Verse 12, in him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. I have access to the Father because I'm in Christ. The next verse, so then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf because they are for your glory. He says, because I'm in Christ, even the difficult times will be used for the glory of God. So all through this book of Ephesians, he has been telling us who we are in Christ. And now he comes to the end and he says, if you're going to be able to survive the evil day, you need to put on the armor of God and you need to remember who you are in Christ. 
That's what the armor of God is, is talking about. The armor is defensive. The armor is the defense that we put on so that when Satan brings his accusations, when Satan discourages us, we're able to believe the truth. We have this armor on and it protects us. Now, I know somebody will say, well, it's not all defensive. The sword of the spirit, that's one of the pieces of armor. That's an offensive weapon. Well, uh, I, I would disagree. Now, a sword can be an offensive weapon, certainly, but in this context, it's, it's defensive. Uh, he, he lists the uh, sword as a piece of armor, and so he tells us in that that it's a defensive weapon. And, and e e any kind of weapon can be defensive. If uh, in the middle of the night, tonight, uh, you wake up when you hear somebody knock down the door of your house and you recognize that intruders have come in, what will most of you do, men? Uh, you will reach down and take a firearm and you will defend your family, right? That's what would likely happen at my house. And, and, and there would be a defense. And so that weapon has become a defensive weapon. So he says, if you'll put on this defense, that when Satan fires his flaming arrows at you, when he accuses you, when he says that you're worthless, when he says that you can't handle it, when he says that you're guilty, when he says you should feel shame, when he, when he says that, that you're exhausted and need to quit, when he says you've come to the end of your rope, when, when, when Satan fires these arrows at you, if you have on the armor, if you know who you are in Christ, you will be able to stand against those attacks. Let me walk through the armor right quick. So the belt of truth, what does that mean? Well, we need to know the truth of who we are in Christ. I am saved and forgiven in Christ, absolutely forgiven. That's the truth. And Satan can accuse me of anything he wants to accuse me of, but the truth is, I have put on the belt of truth that I am forgiven in Christ. The breastplate of righteousness. I have a righteousness that comes from God and any accusation bounces off of that. Satan can, as I said, accuse me of anything. I can be, he can, he can fire his darts of discouragement toward me but I am secure in who I am with the Father. I have a right standing with the Father. That's what righteousness means. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done on my behalf. The next one is the, are, are the shoes of the gospel. What are the shoes of the gospel? Well, Satan's not gonna slow me down because I'm wearing the shoes of the gospel that I've been saved by grace through faith. That's what he said in Ephesians chapter two. And nothing is going to slow me down because I know that my peace does not come from circumstances, but it comes from my relationship with the Father because of Christ. What's the next one? The shield of faith. The shield of faith, he says, to, to extinguish the fiery darts of, of Satan. The shield of faith, when Satan brings his word to me, I can, I can shield myself from that because I have faith that what Christ has done for me is enough. The next one is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. My 
relationship with God is secure. I have been adopted into God's family. I am guaranteed by the very integrity of God, the power of God. I am sealed by the, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Nothing can take away my salvation. I uh, was watching a football game, I don't know, one of the bowl games over the last few days and weeks, and I saw the most foolish thing, and I've I'm not a football player, so maybe this is more dangerous than I uh, realize. But one player got mad at another player, and so he balled up his fists, and he started punching him. Uh, the problem is the guy he was punching had on a helmet. And I thought, you know, it's got to be hurting the puncher more than it's hurting the punchee. You know, if you have a helmet on, you know, you're pretty protected. Well, I have on Satan, bring it on, because I have on the helmet of salvation. And my, my place in God is secure. There may be some bad news this year. There may be some illness this year. There may be some financial problems this year. There may be some adversity this year that, that I could never have imagined. And, and, and without the helmet of salvation, that might just take me off track. That might make me run from my problems. But I'm secure. I've got the helmet of salvation. I'm a child of God. Satan, bring it on. That's not going to change. And then the sword of the spirit, which he says is the word of God. I'm going to get my reality from God's word. I'm going to, I'm going to get my peace from God. I'm going to get my joy from God's word. I'm not going to look to the world or my circumstances. I'm not going to listen to Satan. I'm going to get my information, my reality filtered through scripture. It comes from the word of God. See, there's going to be an evil day for you and for me, and, and maybe many evil days. There are gonna be some days when you're gonna be so filled with temptation, you're gonna, you're gonna hear this. You don't have it in you to say no. You can't change you. You can't stop. There are gonna be some days when you're so frustrated that you just wanna walk away and quit because Satan will say to you, there's no hope. There are going to be some days when you're going to feel the sting of failure or rejection, and you're going to think that you're worthless and that you have no value. There are going to be some evil days, some depressing days. How do we stand in those days? We put on the armor of God, the truth of who we are in Christ. Satan, bring it on, because I know I'm forgiven, and I'm a child of God and I am valuable in the eyes of God, and, and, and my eternity is secure. When we know who we are in Christ, do you recognize that's the armor that causes all of Satan's arrows to bounce away? First, if we're gonna stand in the evil day, we, has, we must know who we are in Christ. Now, there is a second thing we need to do. We need to pray. And I want you to see that this uh, admonition to pray that we see in verse 18, is also, we, we've seen it all the way through uh, I, I, the book of Ephesians. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I never got stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. The next verse, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He goes on to say, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You see it in chapter 2. You see it in chapter 3. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being throughout uh, throughout his spirit. You see it in 17 and 18. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 20, listen to this. Now to him who is able to do above 
and beyond all that we ask or think or imagine according to his power that works in us. All the way through, he's talking about prayer. And so then he comes down to the end and he says, when the evil day comes, you need to put the full armor on and know who you are in Christ. But then, and this won't sound very theological, but then you just need to pray like crazy, okay? Now, I, I, that, I wouldn't pass in a, in a preaching class perhaps, but, but I think that's what he's saying. Look at verse 18 with me again. He says, pray at all times. And that's not an exaggeration. Pray at all the time. You ought to always be praying. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert. What, what does he mean by stay alert? Well, he, he means to pray. He's just another way of saying the same thing. We know that because of what it says in the next few verses, the next few words. He says, and stay alert with all perseverance. That means don't quit. And intercession, that's prayer for all the saints. So you need to pray, and then you need to pray, and then you need to pray like crazy. You need to pray for all people at all times. You need to stay alert. You need to persevere. You don't need to quit. Prayer, prayer. Look at the next verse. He says, pray also for me. Paul's giving a personal uh, request here. He says, pray for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Paul says, I've got a mission and I, it, it's, a, it's a difficult mission. Pray for me. See, the only offensive weapon we have in Ephesians chapter 6, when we, when we face Satan in the evil day, the only offensive weapon we have is prayer. We put on the defensive weapon who we are in Christ. That takes care of 75% of it. But then, the offensive weapon, what do we do? We pray. And we pray like crazy. It was Jesus who said it in Mark 9, 29, when there, when there was a problem that other people couldn't solve, but Jesus solved it and they said, how were you able to solve it? And Jesus said, this kind, this problem, this situation, this need, only is solved by prayer. There are just going to be some things in your life that if you don't pray, they're not going to go away. There are going to be some problems. If you don't pray, you're not going to have victory. There are going to be some battles. If you don't pray, you will not win. We have to put on the armor of God who we are in Christ, and then we must pray like crazy. I want to show you just, just one more passage to illustrate this, this is an Old Testament passage. I'll read it to you. You're welcome to turn there if you would like, but it's, it's in Exodus chapter 17. Uh, listen, listen to this story, and I'll just walk you through it. It says, at uh, Rephidim, Amalek came and fought against Israel. Let me tell you what that means. Uh, the, the Amalekites were the enemies of the Israelites, and they are in battle uh, with one another. And so who's going to be victorious? The Israelites, that's the good guys, or the Amalekites, that's, that's the bad guys. So it goes on to say, Moses said to Joshua, Moses, Joshua, they were the leaders of the Israelites, select some men for us and go and fight against Amalek, that's the king of the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Now that means he's going to pray. That's a visible demonstration of his prayer. So Moses said, uh, Joshua, you go fight and I will go pray. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 10, Joshua did as Moses had told him and he fought against Amalek while Moses, Aaron and Hur, some buddies of Moses, also some leaders, 
They went up on top of the hill. And when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. That means when Moses prayed, Israel prevailed in the battle. But whenever he put his hand down, when he stopped praying, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So they help him to pray. They pray with him, so to speak. And then verse 13, so Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. Now, what's the simple lesson? We could take a, this could be a whole sermon or a whole sermon series perhaps, but what's the simple lesson here? There are some battles that will not be won without prayer. Had Moses not gone up on the mountain and prayed, the Amalekites would have defeated the Israelites. Had Moses not prayed, Joshua would not have won. There are problems in your life. There are going to be some evil days that if you don't pray, if people don't come along beside you and pray, you're not going to have the victory. There are some problems our kids are going to face. Moms and dads and grandparents that they are not going to win if we don't pray. There are problems our church is going to face. Spiritual problems. Spiritual battles. That we will not win with organization or with money or with preaching or with staff or with ministry. There will be problems that we will not win unless we pray. You see, an evil day is coming. A lot of evil days are coming. And it's not in you to be victorious over the evil spiritual forces. Except that you do two things. You put on the armor of remembering who you are in Christ. And you pray like crazy. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed. I guess the first question today is who are you in Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? It's Christ alone that, that can bring us to the Father, that can make us righteous. If you've not put your trust in Christ, no better time than today. As we start this new year, won't you start it with Christ? Would you say, Father, I know I'm guilty of sin and my only hope is what Jesus has done for me. So I surrender to you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I turn from the way I'm living and I embrace best I can your way, fully trusting in what Jesus has done to bring forgiveness and make me right with the Father. That's how we become right with God through Christ. And that's essential for us to win the battle in the evil day. And so if you need to make that decision as we stand and sing in just a moment, I invite you, come down and share that with me or one of the other ministers here at the front. Let us encourage you, pray for you. What a, what a big step that'll bring changes throughout your life for eternity. Many of us, we certainly know 
Christ and we are children of God, no question about it. But we also know that we will face some evil days. And now God's word has told us what to do. To know who we are in Christ, to remind ourselves every day, put on that armor every day, remind yourself every day who you are in Christ and to pray like crazy. Father, help us to remember how to walk with you so that we don't fall in this spiritual battle. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.